Uh, it's Oscar, well, it has, it has been movie and award and Oscar season, and, um, and so whenever it's that time of year, that's always, uh, anybody enjoy going through and trying to watch the movies that are up for, for uh, awards? Okay. So, uh, and it didn't, it didn't get any awards, actually, I think it was up for best uh, original score, uh, but there was a movie that really went under the radar, because it was sci-fi, called Ad Astra. I don't know if anybody was able to watch that or not. Yeah, a few of us. Uh, you know, a lot of the reviews will just tell you it's a very boring movie and, you know, very slow. And you're like, yeah, I mean, you're in space all by yourself <laughs> for weeks on end. Um, and uh, without giving too much away, uh, I mean, for me, what, the reasons why I liked it was obviously space and sci-fi. And I'm not ashamed of it, like slight man crush on Brad Pitt. So like all those, thank you. I appreciate that. I, sometimes I feel lonely when I do these things um, and, and own my life. So, um, so all that kind of led to watching it and, and was really taken. And I had heard whispers the kind of story it was that truly it's uh, the, the plot is this, that, that Brad Pitt's character is an astronaut, but he's a second generation astronaut. His father was a, a famous astronaut, Tommy Lee Jones. And um, that he goes to the end of our solar system, to Neptune, and camps out there uh, in search of uh, intelligent life. But then different things happen. His father stays there for years on end, and Brad Pitt grows up without his father, and there's these things happening within the solar system, these power surges that's causing mass destruction in, in, on Earth. And so Brad Pitt goes on a, a hero's journey to reconnect with his father, uh, and to, and it's like a Joseph Conrad kind of story, into the darkness, faces life as well. And with the sense you get throughout the movie, this is my point, is that they're not just looking for intelligent life, they're actually just looking for life outside of themselves. Is God out there? Is God somewhere? And how far do we have to go in our known world before God's willing to meet us? And I think that's a pretty relevant tension and question that a lot of us ponder as well. I, I grew up uber charismatic. Like, if anybody ever seen TBN, right? They ain't got nothing on me, all right? So, like, grew up in that stuff. Like, I was swinging from the chandeliers. Like, I think I actually did that one time. Um, you know, like, words and tongue, experiences, all these kinds of things. Like we had things, we had throwdowns called camp meetings. Like you couldn't touch us. Uh, and if you did, you might fall out in the spirit. Like that was, that was what was, was happening uh, in my little uh, three-year-old to 18-year-old world. Uh, and I, I remember at an early age, I had these though really profound experiences. I actually, I, I remember seeing angels a couple different times. I, I remember... Um, having a, a, a vivid, tangible almost sense of God's presence in my life. It was, it was a normal, regular thing. And I don't miss me when I was at church. I mean, even when I was home, like I would just have these little experiences and I didn't know what to do with them. And, and it made me hungry for more. And, and so I, I started throwing myself into more activities to try to get more of those experiences. And, and sometimes they changed, like having these personal experiences at home turned into going to church and having more experiences there. It, it turned into me having these very concrete, set, rigid times of interacting and reading scripture. And, and I just wanted like a hit, you know what I mean? Like I wanted something to like hit me and then I'd kind of know when I, when I got it, right? You, you know what I mean? And, um, and I just was on that constant running 
to try to connect with God. That's what I really wanted, but it almost started, I started looking like an addict almost, right? Like, I just got to get the next hit. I got the next hit, and I'm not okay till I get the next hit. And the thing is, my hits got less and less good. Like, they weren't near as good as what I remember. Like, I, there weren't enough camps or camp meetings or whatever else to go. There weren't enough conferences or renewal here. Renewal, there just wasn't enough out there. And over time, I found that I became increasingly cynical as I got more distance between those experiences and then what I was experiencing today. Because no matter how many times I wanted God to show up the way he did then, he wouldn't do it. You, are you with me on that? Like, can you relate to that? Because if you grew up in the church, especially the evangelical southern church, which most of us, you're in the south, you probably did, unless you're a transplant, and it happens in the Midwest too, right? West Coast, wherever. Um, maybe not in Canada, but everywhere else it happens. Like, if you grew up, though, here in the States, in this evangelical world and bubble, you probably can relate to that. Which means you probably also can relate to a lot of the cynicism that accompanied your life by the time you got to wherever you are, mid-20s, mid-30s, into your 40s, maybe it continues in your 50s and 60s. And I think that's a real tension for us. Can we connect with God? Because I think what we'll see here is that there are people that, we ha that have an experience, and we say, if we could just have that experience, my life might be better. Like those lucky dogs, look what they got to have. So I want us to look at that and see if that's really true or not and see what kind of conclusions we come to. So let's, let's just pick up here. You know, before 17, you get chapter 16. 16 is pretty profound. You have Jesus. They're way up north in Palestine, Israel, at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's heavily Roman and Greek-occupied for hundreds of years. So there's a lot of mixing of religions and cultures and all those kind of things there. Jesus has them at this point where he gives this big rah-rah speech. They're, he's, he's, they're maybe even standing at Pan's Labyrinth, which would be considered the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi. So they're standing at this spot, and you almost can see Jesus pointing, saying, you see Pan's Labyrinth, you, you see where the devil lives right there. I want you to know something, that you will not be conquered by that, but you will conquer the gates of hell. Like, if you follow me, we're going places, and you will overcome whatever life throws your way, and the disciples are going, whoa, this is, this is different rabbinical teaching. And so Jesus gives this big spiel, and they're wrestling and wondering about who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, well, it says in, in verse 15, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Jesus is tying these things together, like I am God. Okay, yeah, I'm the son of the living God. I'm the Messiah, and you're going to be able to do these great things. But then he gives them a really hard pitch right after that, where he says in verse 24, so if you want to go with me and, and kind of roll deep with me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, they will find it. And so Jesus has already given a hard pitch. Like if you want to be able to have this kind of conquering life, here's what's going to cost you. Your own psyche. And, and the word for psyche there is, that's used from the Greek it, it has a lot of kind of double, a lot of meanings to about salvation. It can also mean your soul. It can mean literally your life. But a lot of it, they were taken from Greek influence. It was just around really kind of your ego of who you think you're supposed to be and your life is supposed to be. Like Jesus is saying, you're going to, have to lay down your assumptions of what life has to be. 
and who you think you're supposed to be in this life because that's getting in the way of you having something deeper in this life. So he's saying you got to lay down the first half of life. And then you'll be able to step into to more of life. So that's the big conversation they're having. So then it says six days later in chapter 17, verse 1. So six days later, they're now hiking up a mountain. And it says that Jesus brought three people, Peter, James, and John, with them up to this mountain. And let's just read here in verse 2 of chapter 17. And it says that there, when they got to the top of this mountain... There Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Like white as light. Um, All three gospels, I mean, all three of the four gospels, which uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, meaning they overlap a lot with each other. And John's just kind of crazy. Like he's, he's on island of Patmos. Maybe he's, I don't know what he's doing. But anyway, but these three over here, they're giving historical accounts in ways that are different. And if you ever see three stories in all of them with different accounts, really important. So all three gospels bring this account up. Well, here's how they talk about this experience. So Mark says, verse three, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I didn't know they had bleach then. I just thought they died when they were like 30, but like they had, they had bleach. Then he says, Luke says in chapter 9, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So this is pretty intense, friends, right? Can we agree on this? Like, this isn't like you got like, you know, you've been to the tanning bed or been outside or kind of the next Netflix haze over your face being up till three in the morning zombie. Like, this is like, whoa, something here. Like, there's light, it's white. Not even bleach could get it even whiter. There's lightning. And then on top of that, it says, and at that moment, that's when Moses and Elijah appeared. Moses and Elijah from three, 2,000 years earlier appeared. All right? So, Now we're like, okay, who passed what to smoke? Like, what's going on here? Like, who slipped it in? Like, what's happening? It's a big moment. Can Can you imagine Peter, James, and John, like, just taking it in? Like, what would you do if somebody's face was like lightning, and then you see two people who've been dead for 2,000 years, right? You're like, well, okay, this is how this evening's gonna go, you know? Like, it's a lot. It's a lot, to take in. But for them, it was quite significant because, okay, Exodus 34 tells the story of Moses coming down from the mountain after being up there for 40 days and nights. And it says his face was radiant. Even there's a conversation that goes on, they lay it out more in Luke chapter nine, this conversation that that Jesus, Elijah, and, and Moses are having. And the conversations around Jesus' departure, that's the word that we read in English, but the word really in, in Greek tied to the Septuagint is the word exodus. So we see these direct ties between Jesus and Moses. Radiance, right? Light, and an exodus is coming that God's people are going to be saved. Big moment. Elijah as, as weird as it seems, actually is pretty on the nose. Elijah didn't actually literally die. The accounts of Elijah is that he was taken up in a ring of fire. Like he Johnny Cash this world, right? Like he's like, 
Like, I'll, I'll, I'll show you, you know? And so he goes up in this ring of fire and never dies. And then there's like these prophecies of this eschaton, this end times, that when Elijah appears, Malachi talks about it. We even read a few weeks ago. When Elijah appears, that's when the day of the Lord has come. Now, you got three good Jewish dudes here that have enough history on their side and knowledge because they were raised in it hardcore till they were 13 years old in, in school, and that is, uh-oh, all these worlds are coming together. This is a big moment. This is like somehow you ran into that leprechaun on a unicorn going over a rainbow, rainbow you found the pot of gold. Like You're like, this doesn't exist, but it does exist because here it is. It's that big of a thing. It's the lottery, right? It's those pair of shoes I've been trying to win on sneakers at for the longest time. Like, it's the big thing that you've been dying for. And they finally get it. They get the moment. And everything comes together. Now listen, Luke's account says they were terrified. Even here, yeah, you're going to be terrified. You finally got the thing that you were hoping could happen. You didn't know if it could happen. It was just a myth. And you found yourself at the crossroads of something so big and monumental that it's a moment that could last forever. If you make it last forever. Which is what we see next from Peter. Peter's response is really interesting. Because here's what he proposes. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And if you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then what they left out in the, in the Hebrew there is, and we stay here forever, right? Like that moment is so big and so much that Peter's like, I just want to keep it here. Like I just, I just want to bottle it up. Like the, the word they use in the Hebrew for 10, actually, again, if you trace it back in the Septuagint and how they would talk about the old, you know, in the Old Testament scriptures, is tabernacle, which is a really big deal. Because that's what God's people had before temple. They would travel and put up tabernacle. And that's where God's presence was. And what have they not had since the temple had been torn down through all the exiles? God's presence. So Peter's like, bingo, here's what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for you just to be here. And now we got your boys, Moses and Elijah. And now we're just going to create this tabernacle and do it again. And it's all going to be fine. And then at that moment, he's interrupted by a voice from heaven <laughs> that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then they go down the mountain. Gone. Can you relate to Peter, at least, wanting to put that in a bottle? And it never go away. Like you just you want to you want to put the good feelings, the Enneagram Seven vibes. Like you want to keep vibing. Like you want to find the thing, and just go with it, man. Like it's just going to stay there for you. You can't blame him. Like and actually, don't you think it'd be kind of easy today if Jesus just would have hung out on Earth? Like we just kind of go on a pilgrimage and like, is he real? Yeah. I mean, you know, he died and resurrected 2,000 years ago, but he's hanging out over in Tel Aviv. Like, just go find him on the beach there. He's, he's laying out right now, but you'll find him. Like, how much easier would that be? 
like a resurrected person walking around the earth forever. And you just go find the person. Where is he now? He's in Singapore. Let's go find him. You know, whatever. Like, I think, you're like, okay, if I could just see him, and then that'd give me my fix. That'd give me my experience. But you only can imagine how bad that would be. We've had plenty of those people throughout space and time that became these gurus, right? Like, how often do we just find that if I just could have this moment with God and it always be there, and I could always go back to it the way I want to at any point in time, I'd be fine. I mean, never in history have we had as much access to anything we want right now. Your phones, if, you're, if you get tired of what I'm saying, you don't like me, something else going on here, like take out your phone and use your, use your LTE or use your Wi-Fi and you're good to go. Find what you want. On demand. I mean, so Suzanne and I talk about how Charlotte and, and One Day Maxine, like Charlotte has no idea what to do with commercials. Like they, they confound her like the Trinity that confounds me. You know what I mean? Like she looks at the commercial and she's like, what are we doing here? We're wasting our life. You know, make it stop, go away. <laughs> you know, like never have we had more access to things when we want it. And yet that's not how relationships work. And if God is meant to be a relationship, if God has feelings, I mean, God gave you feelings. If you believe that God had a hand in your creation, whether through evolution or whatever, still he had a hand in your creation, however you want to slice it up, that if you have feelings, and that means who created you has feelings. If you have desires, the being that created you has desires, and that means there has to be like some relationship, working it out, talking it out. And if you want to just for a second go back to what it started out with, you know, a lot of us in this room maybe grew up with these profound experiences from time to time. The further you got from it, the more cynical you became and the less you knew what to do with them. Others of you are so new to the faith, you're like, I just want one of those experiences. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm in my 20s and 30s and didn't know you could have that. Because what's interesting is, it's this really delicate tension between you, you can't live in past experiences, but you do need new experiences. You, you, we can't live with the past stuff, but we do need new stuff. Like, Suzanne and I need regular moments together that we're good and connected. We can't have the old stuff, but we still need some new, fresh stuff. And I think a lot of us, I know for me at least, I get so caught up so caught up in what I don't have access to, what I don't have on demand. Can you relate? And can you relate to how much that even gets in the way of even wanting to connect with God at all? Not show of hands, but some of us in this room who I've talked to have been really shocked when I say the following. They'll come to me and they'll say, I'm having a hard time connecting with God. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, did you do something bad? They're like, no. I mean, you know, sometimes, but no. Well, um, like, do you, do you like the Bible at all? They're like, yeah, man, I read it all the time. And they'll go, oh, well, quit reading the Bible. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> no, I got to, like, I remember one time I said this to somebody, they looked at me, they're like, okay, I'm gone. <laughs> like, I think, I think they left, like, in two weeks. <laughs> Because it's not that that's 
of course, wrong. I mean, scriptures are holy and, and significant, inspired, absolutely. But it's like it gets in the way of them having a new experience with God because they get so, this is how it was for me. It's like I had to go back and have the same, in the South, if you're not from the South, they called it QTs, which mean quiet time. Okay, so quiet times. Oh, man, anyway, um, quiet times, here they are. And you go have a quiet time, and you got coffee, and then you got scripture, and you got all these kind of things there, which, by the way, I love the Bible. We're actually asking you to read the Bible every day, to take one of these things for Lent home with you that talk about scripture, and you don't think about it, but you read what we tell you to read. Like, there you go, the Bible every day. We love the Bible, just bear with me. But sometimes, (laughs) sometimes those things get in the way because I had to have this exact setup, and if I couldn't have it the way I wanted, then it wasn't going to work. Well, that was a failed time. You ever heard somebody say in a relationship, in a marriage, I just want to like fall in love again? Like, I just want to fall in love with you again. And I go, what do you mean? Like, you want to go back to being like, I'm sorry if you're 18, 18 and naive? Like, what do you mean? You want to go back to like early, mid-20s, but your brain's not fully formed yet and making decisions of love? Like, what do you mean when you say that? You say you want to fall in love again. Like, you want to have all the feels again? Like, what do you mean? Because I know people who try to do that end up leaving their marriages because their marriages don't give them what they're looking for, and all they do is get caught up in this endless loop of adolescence. All right, I'll get off the soapbox. So, (laughs) and I think we treat God that way. Because every good relationship must evolve. What worked for me and Suzanne 10 years ago does not work today. Heck, what even worked last year doesn't work today. And what works today may not even work next year. You have to be willing to let the relationship grow. I, I only have like two really old friends because it, they just couldn't last. I have one friendship, a guy named Adam, who we've been friends since I was 18 and he was 18. I made it through a lot of things but the things had to evolve and grow. And we still talk almost every week. Things had to evolve and grow. You have to change. How you, can, how you relate has to change. How we relate to God must change over time. We can't hold on to transfiguration experiences as much as we want them. Like whatever happened in your past is a good thing, but if you keep trying to go for it today, you always stay in wonderlust. And you always miss the goodies of the present. And there's a lot of good stuff here in this present, as hard as it is. And I think a lot of us, I know for me, I just get caught up in what was, and then what I don't have, and what will never be, and then it's all hopeless, and God doesn't love me. In your bulletin, uh, C.S. Lewis, he gives us some hope when he says, we may ignore but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito, and the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend, in fact, to come awake, even more, remain awake. I had a mentor years ago, and he said, I'll put it on the screen here for you. Um, He would just use this line, learn to create a holy suspicion that God is near. And 
he would talk about how the way you learn to create a holy suspicion that God is near is you just ask questions wherever you go, like, God, are you near? <laughs> like, are you in this? And he was like, when you're walking down the street, he goes, I wonder if you just paused for a second and said, God, are you around that bush? Which sounds creepy today, which what we know about in the world, you know what I mean? But this was back in the 90s, so whatever. Um, but like, God, are you around that bush? God, are, God are, you, are you near? God, are you and my spouse right now, even though we're fighting? God, are you near? God, are you and this little child that's annoying the, the heck out of me right now? God, are you near? God, are, 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 are you in this job situation that's complete crap? and not working at all, God, are you near? God, are, are, are you in this complete boredom of how life doesn't work for me, or I'm at this stage of life, and I'm having to recreate myself, and I just can't figure it out, God, are you near? God, are you, are you in this sickness that I'm experiencing right now? God, are you near? The question is this, God, are you near? Or do I have to go to Neptune to find you? Like, God, are you near? God, are you near? Or do I have to go back to a mountain of transfiguration to experience you? God, are you near? Because the greatest desire and need we have is, God, are you near? And yesterday's manna doesn't always work, friends. You know, what worked for me when I was 8, 10, 15, 20 does not work for me when I'm 40 today. For whatever reason, I experience God when I go to therapy and do deep work on myself. It is what it is. I experience God when I listen to podcasts about Fred Rogers right now. That's how I experience God. Great podcast called Finding Fred. There you go. So good. <laughs> Tears, Niagara Falls. <laughs> like, I experience God when I'm staring and just paying attention to my daughter and I don't miss her for a moment. Even... A couple weeks ago, um, just having a hard time, and I, I, take, I used to take Charlotte to school in the mornings, and uh, we have a big upstairs, like the upstairs is kind of like our master suite in our house, and big walk-in closet, and I was in the walk-in closet, door closed, getting changed. Charlotte, she was always hanging out there in the bedroom, and when I opened the door, she was just so sad, and she was looking at a picture uh, and I looked, the, I looked at the photo, and I said, baby, what's wrong? And she showed me this family photo of us. And, uh, and she was just like, I, I wish you were that way. And I was like, what do you mean you wish I was that way? And, you know, everybody's smiling in the family photo. And she goes, I wish you were, like, nice and kind, like that picture. <laughs> and uh, she goes, I just wish we, had, I wish, you, I wish we had family like that. And I was like, okay. We'll be late to school. Let's talk. <laughs> and we sat down. I was like, well, babe, and we do this a lot with her. Like, we, we let her just basically rattle off and tell us off. I mean, if that's bad parenting, okay. But anyway, like, share your feelings. What's going on? And she's like, you're not listening, and, and you're being to Maxine. You're not listening to Mommy, and you're not listening to me. I just want you to be family like this picture. And she goes, I just want you to smile. And I was like, oh, like this? And she goes, no. And then she started like... <laughs> <laughs> she started putting her hands on my face uh, and making my smile look a certain way. And she said, stay right there. And then she went over and she got her little Polaroid camera and she said, okay, and took a picture of me. Uh-huh. And took a picture of me. That's my other daughter. Took a picture of me and she said, okay, that's good. My five-year-old confronted me on my lack of awareness and kindness. And in that, 
God was near. Because that's what that did. I mean, that sent me to tears making phone calls like, what am I missing? What's going on? God can be as near as you let God be near. It's a matter of if you're awake or not. Are you paying attention or not? And listen, do you create space or not? The things we do here, listen, we do not pile you up with activities ad nauseum because we got some kind of big budget to manage. We've slashed our budget by $150,000 the last three years and lost people because we choose people over programs. We choose people over certain views or ideals or whatever else. So we're not interested in that part. Whatever we hand to you, we actually think it could be really important for you. And trust me, it's not a power play. It won't work if you, unless you do it, unless you own it. So when we try to create spaces here, this is a chance for you, if you want, to connect with God more. Diane is a spiritual director. Every Wednesday for, for Lent, twice a day, she's going to have a space in this sanctuary called Contemplative Practices Services, where you get to come in and in 15-minute blocks, practice God's presence, which means if you're late for the first one, that's okay. Hang out, and then the second block starts. We're doing that twice a day on Wednesdays throughout Lent. Like, there are people going to a lynching museum. There, Jamin and, and, uh, and Jake and Rachel Lila group out there for you to go experience and see more of the tragedy in this world so you can find more empathy for people that you live near. And in all those things we talk about, the sustainability project, where you could talk about sharing and loving one another and not, like, throwing away your excess, but, like, being with one another, all these things are ways, if you want, for God to be near. But it's a matter of creating space. Got great space in your marriage, space with your children, space for yourself. And in all that, God gets to be near. In Philippians 4, I'll just put it on the screen, one with this. Even Paul tells us, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. And what does the last part say? And the peace of God will be with you. Are you lonely for more of God? And you're wondering where God is. Here's what I'd say. He's as near as you allow him to be. It's just a matter of creating space. It may not be transfiguration, but it'll be exactly what you need today. And it'll be you growing up more into your faith of who God is and who you are with God. Let's pray. So, Lord, now as we come to the table, we come to a place where you told us that you are with us and you are near. A place where we can have, in a sense, not just a memorial service. But a re-rehearsing of your presence, of your kindness, and of your love for us on the cross. So I pray now as we come to you, we'd be able to see you, feel near you, and you near us. In your name we pray. Amen.